the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. First, he calls it transgressions, which means rebellious actions. And that's what David's actions were. What he did was rebellion against God. Listen, he knew it was wrong to take someone else's wife and have sex with her. We'd rather think of our sins as mistakes. But that's a pitiful euphemism, isn't it? Sin is rebellion, and we need to confess and repent. Only then will we have the close relationship with God that He wants us to have. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we continue our series on repentance. Pastor Steve has a lot of ground to cover, so let's turn to Psalm 51 and get started. Before, though, we actually look at the actual contents of this psalm, it's necessary that you know more about the background of the story beyond the few words that appear in the heading concerning David's adultery with Bathsheba. Now, I assume that most of us are familiar with this incident. It's recorded in the Bible in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So rather than read everything written in these verses that uh, that's connected to the story, because they can get rather involved, instead I'm going to read to you what one Bible teacher and pastor, Ray Stedman, has written concerning what happened. The reason I'm reading from Stedman is because his comments come with some very helpful insights into the various elements involved in this incident. It's a little bit lengthy, not as lengthy if I read to you from Second Samuel, but here's what he wrote. King David was on his palace roof one day when the army had gone out to war. From the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. His passion was aroused, and he sent messengers with orders to bring the woman to him. The king entered into an adulterous relationship with the woman Bathsheba, who was married to a high-ranking soldier in David's army. The soldier, Uriah, was out on the battlefield fighting for his king. Later, when David learned that Bathsheba was pregnant with his child, he panicked and tried to cover up his sin. He ordered Uriah home from the battlefield, hoping the soldier would sleep with his wife so that the child of the adulterous relationship would be presumed to be Uriah's own. But loyal Uriah felt that duty came before pleasure. So instead of going to his own house, he bunked with the other soldiers before returning to the battlefield. Knowing his sin would be exposed. David did what those in a sinful state often do. He tried to cover up one sin with another. From adultery, David progressed to murder. He ordered Uriah, Bathsheba's unsuspecting husband, to be put in the forefront of the battle where he would inevitably be killed. When David first lusted for Bathsheba, it never entered his mind that lust would lead to murder, but it did. When news of Uriah's death reached King David, he thought he had covered his sin. But though his plan succeeded, David was not relieved. In fact, he had only compounded the guilt of his adultery with the guilt of murder. He was haunted by what he had done to Uriah. In Psalm 32, David records how he felt while covering up his sin. 
When I kept silent, he wrote, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For a year, the king tried to live with his guilty conscience, but God loved David too much to let him continue destroying himself and his kingdom because of hidden sin. So God sent the prophet Nathan to David because David was the king. Nathan had to approach him with care. If he blatantly accused King David, he might lose his own life. So Nathan told King David a story. The prophet told the king about a certain rich man who owned a flock of sheep. The rich man, said Nathan, wanted to show hospitality to a prominent visitor, but instead of taking a sheep from his own flock, he went to his poor neighbor who owned just one little lamb. The rich man seized the lamb and slaughtered it, leaving the poor man without anything. When David heard Nathan's story, he was indignant. As surely as the Lord lives, David said, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then the prophet, the prophet triggered the trap he had set for the king. Pointing an accusing finger at David, Nathan said, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Instantly, David knew his sin was exposed. He fell on his face before God and confessed his sin. And folks, out of his confession came Psalm 51. As David teaches us from his own shameful experience, what is entailed in genuine repentance. So we're going to begin to learn about repentance from David as we discover what true repentance actually looks like. As we move through this psalm, we're going to see several marks of genuine repentance, with the first one being true repentance is marked by an honest admission of guilt. True repentance is marked by an honest admission of guilt. The psalm opens with these verses, verses 1 through 3. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now, the first thing we see about David's repentance is that all he's really concerned about, all that consumes him, the passion of his heart is that God would forgive him for his sins. He asked the Lord to be gracious to him to be compassionate to him by blotting out his transgressions. That is to say, he's asking the Lord to remove his sins, blot them out, wipe the slate clean, erase my transgressions from the divine record. In addition, he's asking the Lord to wash him thoroughly from his iniquity, cleanse him from his sin. It's, it's all really saying pretty much the same thing. Forgive me. Now, by using these very intense words, to express his desire for divine forgiveness, blot out and wash me, cleanse me. We see David's desperation. It's a heart of desperation in asking for God's forgiveness. And the reason David is so concerned about his sin being forgiven by God is because as he tells us in verse 3, his sin, he says, is ever before me. In other words, he lives with this ongoing painful awareness 
of his sin, what he's done wrong. He lives with this guilty conscience that continually haunts him, and he wants no more of it. See, what we see in David's repentance is that the most pressing thing on his mind is for God to forgive him of his sin. That's all that really matters to him. That's all that he's asking the Lord to do for him. And I think that that's very significant because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we learn that in Nathan confronting David about his sin, he went on to say, really God through the prophet, that there would be terrible consequences for what David had done. Consequences that would affect his family. Terrible things. Terrible consequences. And yet those consequences are not what David is praying about. It's his sin that's caused these consequences that he's so concerned about. Listen to the words of, of the prophet Nathan concerning what would happen to David. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'll raise up evil against you from your own household. I'll even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he'll lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly. I'll do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So think of what Nathan is saying. There's always going to be violence coming from your family. That's going to be directed at you, and that's exactly what happened. You have Absalom. You have others trying to take over David's kingdom at war with one another. There's also sexual sin of Absalom with one of David's concubines publicly in front of all Israel. His baby dies. Terrible things. With all of these disciplinary consequences for his sin laid out before him, still, David's only concern is that God would forgive him. That's all. He doesn't ask the Lord to rescind any of his discipline. He doesn't try to make any deals with the Lord. If I do this, will you do this? There's no bargains. He doesn't get upset with the Lord for disciplining him. All he wants is for God to wipe the slate clean. That's all. Folks, that's what true repentance in the life of a believer looks like, at least one element of it. It doesn't focus on the consequences. It doesn't focus on the effects of sin. It doesn't emphasize trying to change the mess that your sin has created. When God convicts you and brings you to the point of repentance, your first and foremost concern is to get things right with God. And you do that by admitting your sin and seeking his mercy to forgive you for what you've done. That's a critical thing to understand because there are many people who feel genuinely terrible about what they've done. But the reason they feel so terrible isn't because they, they feel guilty that they've sinned against God and they know that they need his forgiveness, but they feel terrible because they've just messed up their lives and the lives of others, their spouse, their children, their career, their relationships with others. 
They want things back the way they used to be before they sin, but that's not repentance. Because repentance is always marked by an honest admission of guilt that leads to seeking God's forgiveness. It doesn't put God out of the equation. He's foremost in the equation. Now, notice how David goes out of his way to address his sin and his guilt. He calls it what it really is, rebellion against God. He uses several words to express what he had done. First, he calls it transgressions, which means rebellious actions. And that's what David's actions were. What he did was rebellion against God. Listen, he knew it was wrong to take someone else's wife and have sex with her. He wasn't ignorant. In fact, just before taking Bathsheba, one of his messengers, who he had sent to find out who that woman is, came back and identified her, not simply as Bathsheba, but he said, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. As if God was warning David, this is someone else's wife. Don't do this. But David went ahead. And he knew it was wrong to conspire to murder Uriah. So his actions were nothing less than pure, willful rebellion against God's authority to tell him what to do and how to live. In other words, he intentionally and he deliberately disobeyed and disregarded the word of God and did what he wanted to do. Secondly, David refers to his actions not only as transgressions, but as iniquity, which means to go astray in the sense of something being bent or or twisted, perverted from the norm. It's, It's gone astray. And that's exactly what David's behavior was. It was a perversion of what was right. He deviated from God's way by taking someone else's wife and having relations with her and then making sure one of his loyal servants was killed in battle so that he could marry his wife. Listen, that's twisted thinking. That's demented thinking. And David says, guilty. I did that. I'm wrong. Third, he calls his behavior sin. And though we use that word commonly, in the Hebrew language, sin simply means to miss the mark. It's missing the mark of what life should be, what God designed life to be. So really, it's deviant behavior because it deviates from the path of godly behavior. Now, in calling his conduct rebellion and perversion, a deviation from what's right, David is just fully admitting his sin and his culpability in doing what he did. He's putting the blame exactly where it needs to be on himself. And that's precisely what one does when they repent. See, so many Christians want help with their problems, especially their, uh, their marital problems, but they can't get help and they won't get help because they blame everyone else but themselves for those problems. This happens a great deal in counseling. Couples want their marriages to improve, but they blame their problems on each other. She's the reason we're not getting along. He's the reason we're having all these conflicts. It's her fault. It's his fault. As long as they are blaming the other one for their problems and not facing their own sin, they will never get help because they will never repent of their sin. And personal repentance is always the way to resolve conflicts. We're not responsible for someone else's behavior, not even our spouse's behavior. We are responsible for our own behavior unto the Lord. 
It's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said to the very self-righteous Pharisees, take the log of sin out of your own eye before you go telling people about the speck of sin in their eye. Deal with your own sin, he was talking about, before you become an expert on the sin of other people. But we see none of this blame shifting with David. He makes no excuses for his actions. He doesn't try to rationalize away what he's done. We never hear David attempting to justify his sin to God. We never hear him say something like this. Yes, what I did was wrong. I admit it. But God, it wasn't totally my fault. I mean, after all, Bathsheba is a beautiful woman and my wife wasn't meeting my needs. And you know, you know the kinds of pressures I'm under as king over your people? With all of this that's going on, what was I supposed to do when I saw her bathing? You never hear that from David. But listen, not only does David not blame other people for his sin, he doesn't, and this is important, he doesn't blame God for his sin. Notice what he says in verse 4. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, this is a very interesting statement by David. It, Frankly, it has perplexed many people because David says, Lord, it's you and you alone that I've sinned against. But it's obvious from the story that David has sinned against Bathsheba, against her husband. He sinned against his own family because this weakened his family. It weakened the whole nation of Israel. But even though he sinned against others, understand this, all sin is ultimately against God himself because everything wrong we do to others is a sin against the God who made them. Here's the way one theologian explained this. He said, all wrong done to our neighbor is wrong done to to one created in the image of God. All tempting of our neighbor to do evil is taking the part of Satan against God. And so far as in us lies, defeating God's good purpose of grace toward him. All wounding of another, whether in person or or property, in body or soul, is a sin against the goodness of God. So even though he sinned against others, he says, ultimately, it's just, it's you. It's you I sinned against. That's how David sees his behavior. Everything he's done although involving other people, has been treason against God, the God who has been so good to David. So at this point in seeking God's forgiveness, his sin against God is all that David sees, all that he cares about. As far as David is concerned, he has done a dastardly and shameful deed against God Almighty, who is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly loving. And that's why he says to God in this verse, you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. In other words, he doesn't blame God at all for his actions. On the contrary, he says that God is absolutely right in judging him. It's very significant. It's a very significant part of repentance You will never repent as long as you blame God for your sin. As long as you think that he's wrong to blame you for what you've done. Because after all, he's the one who gave you this marriage partner that you're having so much trouble with. It's not your fault that you did what you did. It's his fault. And God is the one, after all, who allowed that temptation to come into your life. He didn't need to let that temptation come. He didn't give you the strength to resist it. 
He's the one to blame, not you. Now, God does always give us the strength to resist temptation. And he's never the author of temptation. But that's the demented thinking that goes along with this at times. God, you made me this way. He didn't give me the grace to say no, which is not true, but that's often how people think. Listen, a truly repentant individual never blames God for their sin. They take full responsibility for what they've done. So much so that, listen, they never even minimize their sin by referring to it, as I've heard so often, in toned-down terms. Like, yeah, I made a mistake. Yes, it was a poor decision on my part. Yes, it was an indiscretion. Poor judgment, I admit. Listen, David wasn't like that. He called his behavior rebellion perversion, and deviant, and he blamed no one but himself. And that's why, folks, he begins this psalm with a passionate pursuit for God's forgiveness, honestly admitting his guilt and appealing to God's grace and compassion for that forgiveness. Now, it may be that in listening to David admit his sin of adultery and murder, someone here might think, well, I'm off the hook. I haven't done anything like that. I mean, David was terrible. I didn't do that. I've never committed anything like adultery or murder, so I don't really have to repent. If that's how you think, you're you're wrong. You don't understand sin. It's absolutely wrong. Any violation, any violation of God's word is sin that needs to be repented of because God is holy, perfectly holy, and all sin offends him. And you and I are also just as capable of doing what David did. In fact, we've probably have done it many times in our own minds. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then today you need to examine your heart to see if there's anything that needs to be repented of. An attitude, a thought, a deed that you need to repent of. And if so, then honestly admit your sin. Don't minimize it. Don't justify it. Don't blame anyone else for it. Just name your sin before God and humble yourself before him, asking him to forgive you. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ for a believer cleanses us from all sin. That's such a precious truth. But if you're not yet a Christian, then you do still need to repent of what? A lifetime of living for yourself and for your own pleasures. Without any regard for the Lord, without any regard for his authority over you, you have run your own life that's wrong. You have been the center of your universe that's wrong. Repent of your sin, turn to Jesus Christ, trust him for the salvation you so desperately need. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for these words from David, inspired by you. But words, Lord, that grip us because we can relate to David and we can relate to all of this, Lord. We understand how wicked our hearts are. Perhaps some don't, Lord. I pray that if they don't, you'll, you'll show them how wicked their hearts are. But for true believers, we, we understand except for the grace of God, we're just like David. So I pray, Lord, for those who need to repent, that they'll stop giving excuses, stop blaming others. Stop minimizing their sin. Stop covering it up. But they'll repent before you. 
before the sun sets today, they'll have things right with you. And they'll accept your forgiveness. That they'll accept that your word is true. And they won't base it on how they feel, but on what your word says. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And Lord, we pray for those who don't yet know Christ. We pray that you'll bring some to repentance, repentance that leads to salvation. We pray that you'll show them that their lives are not simply messed up, but they've rebelled against you. They've gone their own way. They've strayed from the path of your word, and we pray that you'll bring them to to Christ. I pray, Lord, for some who have deceived themselves into thinking that they've repented because they feel bad and maybe they've cried and they have regrets, but they've never actually turned from their sin. I pray that as a result of hearing your word today, they will. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have very little time left today, so let me quickly say thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. To find out more, visit versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. You and I are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners by nature. True repentance is impossible without God's help. But when that happens, there will be a difference in our lives, and people will see it. That's Pastor Steve's topic on the next Verse by Verse. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.